you know, it's one thing to have a crisis management plan, whether you're a person or a company, but if you can't get immediate access to the plan, it's like you don't have a plan at all. This is the Job Stories Podcast, how people find work that matters. And we just want to foster relationships and celebrate stories. So that's the idea of uh, talking to you today. We just kind of want to hear your story and celebrate that today. And um, if you don't mind, um, just kind of introduce yourself and then get into your story. Like tell us about a little bit about your career and you can go as far back as you'd like leading up to today. And um, yeah, we just want to get to know you. All right. Well, ready when you are. Yep. Go ahead. Well, my name is uh, Edward Siegel. Um, I am a crisis management uh, expert, uh, author, and consultant. I have a new book out. Uh, it's called uh, Crisis Ahead, 101 Ways to Prepare for and Bounce Back from Disasters, Scandals, and, and Other Emergencies. Um, I also write on a almost daily basis um, a column for Forbes.com, where I now cover uh, crisis-related uh, related news topics and issues. And the advice in the book and uh, the advice is sure on Forbes.com um, is based on my decades of experience as a crisis management uh, expert, uh, as a spokesperson for companies and organizations. I was a CEO of uh, two trade associations in California. So I have a lot of uh, real world hands-on in the trenches experience uh, about dealing with a crisis. And I share that advice in my book uh, in my columns on Forbes.com. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so what we've been um, kind of chatting um, lately about, and I'd like to hear your take on this. Um, we deal with a lot of candidates that through the last 18 months have kind of changed some things about what they're doing in their career. We have some people that we talk to that have completely changed careers. And to do so, they've had to learn some new skills. Matthew, um, who's on here, he he was a school teacher at one point and then got into IT. So um, we, we love to talk about that too. Can you uh, kind of point to throughout your career? Have there been any, any kind of pivotal moments in your career where you've learned some new skills and what the, what might those be? Do you, do you mind to touch on that just a little bit? Sure. Well, um, I've had to reinvent myself more times than I can remember, mm. um, in, uh, in the course of, uh, my career, I got my start in politics. I was a press secretary and legislative assistant. Uh, for members of Congress um, for many years. And um, I got tired of that. I wanted to have something more permanent and uh, more opportunities to use my uh, expertise and knowledge about public relations. So I started working for uh, an advertising agency where I was the vice president um, of their PR department. Um, and one thing led to another. I, came, I went in and out of politics um, several times. I went on the hill, I went off the hill, mm. back and forth in the private sector and um, and government sector. Uh, and then I had an interest in reinventing myself again, and I wanted to be uh, a corporate executive or at least manage a large organization. Um, and I moved to California, and I became the uh, the CEO of, uh, of a trade association in the, in the real estate world, uh, the Marin County Association of, uh, of Realtors. I did that for about 10 years, and then I wanted to work for an even larger organization. We had about maybe 1,700 members uh, in Marin um, company. Uh, so I moved to Los Angeles, and I became the uh, 
the CEO of what was then called the Beverly Hills Greater Los Angeles Association of Realtors. Mm. And when I left a couple, three years later, um, we had uh, more than 9,000 members. And I wanted to use my skills to in management uh, to help uh, the two organizations. They both had problems uh, and issues. But I've always been a writer and a uh, communicator at heart. And I've always loved Washington, D.C., spent many many years here, and it was an opportunity to move back from California to Washington, D.C. about five or six years ago, uh, and I jumped at the chance. And that's when I decided I want to reinvent myself again. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to my true love of, uh, of writing, and um, that's when I found a new literary agent, my first agent who had represented me on my first book, um, had retired, so I needed to find a new agent to represent me for a new book. I found the agent, uh, the, the book that we were talking about getting published. Uh, we haven't found a publisher for that one yet, but I did not give up. And I came up with this idea, a book about um, uh, crisis management. And so one thing led to another. Um, I wrote the book. It was published. I promoted that uh, for, uh, for several months. And that book uh, led to me uh, being able to uh, be brought on by Forbes.com as a uh, senior contributor, as a leadership strategy senior contributor, where now I uh, write about almost on a daily basis, uh, crisis management topics, news and issues. So I've had a varied career over the years, uh, but basically I'm a communicator. I love to write. I love to tell stories. I like to find stories uh, and to tell those stories to my audiences. So um, that's where I am now. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, been quite a ride and uh, I'm not done yet. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, you kind of led into it there. I want to dig into that if you would. So how did you make those career pivots in your life? Do you have like a set of values that you went back to? Do you have like a North star that you kept going back to, or did you just want to recreate yourself every um, so often? How, how'd you make those decisions about changing career paths? Well, it was, I guess two, two guiding stars. Um, be able to pay my bills. <laughs> That's <Yes>. all. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> and uh, stay and keep engaged. Um, I always, I'm the kind of person who always need uh, needs new challenges. I'm always looking for new um, opportunities. I'm always looking for ways of, uh, of being creative. And each one of my job choices um, have had those two uh, important uh, guiding stars um, as part of my uh, decision-making process. You know, is it uh, worth my time and money, uh, my time and effort uh, for whatever the company or organization was going to pay for, pay me for a salary? Did that make sense? Or if I was going to be doing freelance work, could I make enough? Uh, and that would that make sense? And uh, baked into all of these decisions is uh, how much fun am I going to have? What? How can I use my creativity, my experience, my background, my judgment uh, to help these uh, organizations. Uh, Some of these opportunities have come sooner rather rather than later. Um, Some I I had hoped would come to pass and they never did. Um, Others I had no idea what would happen and uh, it presented itself uh, almost immediately. A good example of that is the the job in Marin County where um, I was originally hired as a government affairs director and communications director um, of the association. Uh, I started in January. Uh, Three months later, 
Uh, the CEO of the association announces that he's retiring <laughs> and they launch a nationwide search for a new CEO. And I told the search committee and the board of directors that um, I, I would be very interested in applying um, for the position. They say, fine, uh, submit your resume, go through the process like everybody else. Um, and uh, I wound up getting the job. And I had that job for more than 10 years. And, and I still had the other hats I wore when I was hired as the uh, communications director and government affairs director. So for more than three years, I was doing all three jobs and it, uh, it was a lot of fun. But my, uh, the opportunity to work in Los Angeles for a larger association, um, that took uh, seven or eight months uh, to go through the process before I got the word that I was hired. So some things can take a long, long time. Some things can take a, a short amount of time, but you never know. But the key is to always be ready, always be prepared, um, always be ready to make what you hope will be the right decision so that those uh, opportunities uh, don't disappear. We, we deal with candidates all the time, candidates that might feel like they're, they should be a little segment in your book, <laughs> feel like they've just gone through a disaster or a crisis. Um, and so what would you say to somebody who um, is trying to bounce back? Maybe they got fired their last job. Maybe mm. they um, are involved in a scandal but, want, but need to get back into the workforce. What would you say um, to those type of people? Well, first and foremost, don't give up. Uh, you, you just can't uh, be taken down by setbacks. You have to w find ways of uh, bouncing back and, uh, and coming back. And part of that is to, no matter where you are in your career, uh, always document your, uh, your successes. Show your current employer what you have done or can do for them. Show a prospective employer if you're looking for new opportunities what you have done in the past, and uh, by inference uh, or example, show what you can do for them uh, when, uh, when they hire you. Always look for new opportunities, always be flexible, uh, and always do your best to learn uh, new skills. Technology is changing so much faster than it ever did before. Uh, there's always new gadgets and new software and new programs uh, to learn and to master. And people will be more valuable, more hireable and uh, stable, if you will, uh, to be kept on board if they can continue to show their value for the company and the organization and how they're helping the company where they are now achieve their objectives. And if they're looking for a new job, show that new potential employer what you can do for them to help them achieve their goals and objectives. You have to be as valuable as you can to your current and future employers. And it's a job uh, of doing that. Um, it never ends. Yeah, I heard um, some advice. I can't remember who I heard it from, um, but it was about my career. It was early in my career. And they said, um, write down periodically after you're coming home from work and just thinking about the day's activities or the week's activities prior write down what you did for the employer that helped them achieve their goals. And I think that um, has been the real practical advice that um, I really have taken to heart in my career. Um, do you have any other 
just real practical advice for somebody trying to move up in an organization or make a transition out of one organization to another, do you have some practical advice for um, how they put together their resume or how they connect to um, get another job? Talk about that. Well, first, uh, the examples you uh, keep, uh, it should always be updated on a regular basis. Companies don't want to know what you did five or 10 years ago. They want to know what you did five or 10 months ago mm. or five or 10 days ago or five or 10 minutes ago. That's good, yeah. So You really have to keep those examples um, as current as possible, as relevant to the opportunity. And uh, don't just don't just position yourself as, you know, one kind of person. Be be as as diverse and flexible and show different faces of how you can be of value in different ways to different companies and different uh, different organizations. Uh, and the other important piece of advice is uh, pay attention. Pay attention to what's happening in the news. How can you take advantage of the latest news and event and events or developments um, in your field or your industry or your profession? How can you position them to do a better job if you want to work uh, in that area? Or if you're happy where you are now, how can you learn from the successes or sometimes the mistakes of others so you can do a better job uh, where you are now or how you can position what you've learned from others to help your current employer um, succeed? It comes back to being of value, um, always being relevant and showing what you can do no matter who you are or where you work or what your job is. Yeah, that's great. I was curious too. Um, this is, I just thought of it, but like an example would be our, our father, our dad actually had the same same work for the same school district for 41 years until he retired a few years ago. I mean, he had the same job basically for his entire work path, but that's just not how it works necessarily anymore. And we talk to candidates every so often that feel a little insecure sometimes with the amount that they've jumped around at jobs. Can you speak to a little, do employers look um, real closely at candidates that have moved around a lot or, or folks that have moved jobs quite a bit? How can they kind of put their best foot forward in their interviews if their resume does show that? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think the attitude about hiring someone who's worked at a lot of different places or hasn't worked in a lot of different places I think that attitude has changed over the years. Um, I remember when it used to be a stigma. It used to be held against you if you kept on going from job to job to job over a period of years. Employees would say, what's wrong with this person? Is it a personality conflict or did they do something wrong? Um, how come they're, uh, they're moving around so often? And I remember uh, where people would actually defend themselves for why they uh, went from job to job over a period of years. But that's not the case anymore. Mm. People, if you stay at a job too long, people will say, well, if you're that good, how come you're, you're how come you, that's the only place you ever work? <laughs> <laughs> right. And it, it's, a, it's a good point. You know, uh, supply and demand. Um, if you are that good, if you are that talented, if you are that accomplished, how come more companies don't want to hire you? Mm. So you really have to make the case uh, turn that what used to be a negative, turn it into a positive. You're such you're in so much demand. You're so talented. You're so creative. You have so much expertise in X, Y, and Z areas that uh, you're you're getting all these offers. You're looking for ways to helping these companies. And by building on the successes that you've had working for others, 
your actually can be more valuable to your next employer. Because instead of hiring one person who worked at one job for 35 years, they're hiring one person who worked at eight or nine or 10 or more jobs. And that new company can take advantage of all of your expertise where you used to work for the other companies. Mm. So it's a matter of positioning and marketing. But if you're creative and you show how you've helped others turn that expertise around and make it a selling point is why you're, the next company should hire you as their next employee. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, I, I really, um, that's really helpful because you're right. I, I think I read a just I read a stat recently of how many jobs that a lot of folks are even having at any given time. I mean, some people may hold three jobs at the same time. So we're just seeing a lot more of that kind of as we go along. Actually, that's an interesting part of what they're now calling the uh, the great resignation. People are scratching their heads why so many people, I think last uh, September or so, more than 4 million people um, quit their jobs. And people say, well, why are they quitting the jobs? What are they going to do? Well, I've, I've read stories that uh, it's not scientific, but it's more a- anecdotal, that a lot of these people are resigning because they're so frustrated where they are now. It's not that they don't want to work or they don't need the money. They're just looking for more opportunities to be creative. They want to have a greater control on their career and their work and their personal life. Mm-hmm. Maybe they could actually make more money as a freelancer or a contract worker. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, the great resignation um, is another indication about the changing nature um, of work um, in the United States and around the world. But it also creates more opportunities for people who want to maybe work on a full-time basis for a large company, check out these companies where there are reports of people resigning and maybe they'd be interested in uh, uh, working with you and bringing you on board, either as a full or part-time or uh, a contract uh, an employee. And if you don't want to be tied down to one company, position yourself as a creative, flexible uh, contract worker with all the skills and all the expertise and uh, try to work for as many companies uh, as you can. So I think my my question is going to come from a little bit different angle. Um, so the subtitle of your book is 101 Ways to Prepare and Bounce Back from Disasters, Scandals, and Other Emergencies. And I wonder if there is a common uh, through line in between people that, that don't bounce back from crises people that um uh we all like to talk about the rising from the phoenix and like um the climb to success but there's also people i'm sure um that kind of falter and so could did you notice any of those trends when you're researching out this book um like of things that people did that really put them to take one emergency and make it five more emergencies or to take one scandal and make it last a lot longer than it had to. Could you talk about that? Sure. Uh, one thing that I've noticed as a common thread line for companies and organizations and individuals is denial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for companies that have a crisis, they say, well, we'd, we'd never have a crisis. No, that would never happen to us. And a few days or later or hours later, um, they're they're having that crisis, and they're they're caught completely unaware. 
They're completely unprepared to deal with to deal with a crisis. And sometimes, even as they're having the crisis, they'll still continue to deny it. Well, we don't have to do anything. It'll it'll just go away. And sometimes people are the same way. Uh, at a company, said, "Well, you know, I don't have to worry about anything. I have a great career. Uh, I'm never going to have any setbacks." And the next day, they get laid off. So denial is never a good strategy when you're trying to prepare for, manage, uh, and respond and recover from uh, a crisis. I always tell my my clients, and I talk a lot about this uh, in my book, about the importance of having a crisis management plan. If you don't have a plan uh, for your crisis, whether you're an individual or a company or other organization, you're really going to be behind the eight ball um, when, not if, uh, a crisis strikes. You're going to be uh, spending a lot of time, wasting a lot of effort, trying to figure out what you should be doing and how you should doing, be doing it to meet the crisis, when if you had a crisis management plan in place, you have already scoped out and thought ahead on those very same topics. And rather than wasting time figuring out what to do, you could spend your time dealing with the crisis um, head on. So whether you are an individual in your career, you need a career crisis management plan, uh, just as if you were a company or an organization, and you need a plan to uh, account for, plan for, and have ways of dealing with and bouncing back from a variety of different crisis situations that might affect you. But never never assume that a particular crisis um, is not going to happen. Uh, make your, uh, prepare a crisis management plan that deals with a lot of different crisis scenarios, the things that are most likely to happen, the things that you would think could never happen. You know, that uh, horrible tragedy in Houston um, with the, uh, the rapper uh, where uh, I think that 10 people um, died at, uh, at Astroworld. Um, it came out later that the company Astroworld um, had a 56-page crisis management plan on how to deal with everything, every type of disaster, except one. The only contingency they didn't count on was a crowd surge that would kill people. And that's exactly the crisis that they had. Wow. So that's a great unfortunate example of what can go wrong if you don't uh, cover the basis, you don't think about all of the worst case scenarios. And if you don't have a plan to prevent those uh, situations from happening or for dealing with those situations when they do happen. And that's another reason to pay attention. What's happening in the news? What's the latest crisis? What's the latest corporate emergency? Uh, what can you learn as an individual or as a CEO or other company executive from how well or poorly uh, they are dealing with that crisis. And that's exactly what I cover now, almost on a daily basis in my columns for Forbes.com. Would you recommend that that people, um, I'm talking candidates now, um, that they write a crisis management down for, um, what do you think are the, are the big ones that hit everybody's life? Um, I'm sure like, shoot, you, you go ahead and answer. Um, but I wonder like, do, and do they need to write it down? What can what contingencies, contingent contingencies do they need to plan on? Well, don't just write it down keep it with you at all times. Mm. Uh, after you do write it down, put it as a word document or a notes document or whatever device or, uh, smartphone, uh, you're using and always keep it with you. 
and always updated on your on your phone. You know, it's one thing to have a crisis management plan, whether you're a person or a company, but if you can't get immediate access to the plan, it's like you don't have a plan at all. Yeah. So that's just as important to have their plan with them wherever they go on their phone for a company executive um, as it is for a, uh, a private individual. But for a private individual, uh, you know, the, the worst case scenarios, uh, a major illness, um, a career move, um, a divorce, uh, having to move to a different city or, or a town, um, or birth in the family, or a death in the family. You know, there are these major crisis situations that can and too often do happen to people no matter, uh, no matter where they are in the country or age, race, um, creed ethnic background, where they are, where they're coming from, or where they're going. And it's always to be, 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 it's always important to be prepared for anything that can happen in your life. One of the things that people found out too late uh, with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic was uh, they were not prepared for a disaster of that magnitude. Hundreds of thousands of companies went bankrupt. They were not prepared for that crisis tens of millions of people lost their job. They were not prepared for that crisis. There was a housing crisis with people uh, unable to pay their mortgage or their rent. They did not have the financial resources uh, to, uh, uh, to meet that crisis. So whether you're a company or an organization, you really need to think about the worst case scenarios. What could happen that affect you and how? What are your resources that you have to deal with it? And importantly, um, how you will bounce back from it. And as much progress uh, we have made as a country uh, in fighting the pandemic, um, it's certainly not over uh, by any means. And that's one of the things I'm always telling people. Don't assume that uh, we know, will know when this crisis is going to end or how it'll end, or frankly, if it's going to end. There's always going to be a public health emergency. Uh, we we had the uh, uh, the, the 1918 flu pandemic in the last century. Uh, we had polio in the 1930s. We had AIDS. We had Ebola. Uh, there's always something that can affect, uh, to one degree or another, people's lives, people's health, uh, world economies. So be prepared. Uh, get your plans together. Think about the worst possible scenarios. And always update your plan and keep your plan handy so that you can update as necessary and activate it when needed. Let's go back to when you were a CEO. Um, when you had your meetings with executive teams and folks under you, um, did you have a part of your weekly, monthly, quarterly meetings where you talked about, okay, what, what are the bad things that could happen if we implement this policy? What are the bad things that could happen if we... Um, improve this initiative. Did you have those conversations about crisis management even before you really um, wrote a book on it? And Oh, yeah. In yeah. fact, uh, that's one of the things that got me interested in writing the book, mm -hmm. uh, my experience uh, dealing with uh, with crisis situations. And um, I had that conversation uh, many times, sometimes on a daily basis um, with my staff, certainly on a monthly basis with, uh, with the boards of directors. Um, and uh, I actually prepared different, uh, started to prepare uh, different crisis management plans to deal with, with uh, different uh, contingencies. And I always urge my staff to 
think ahead. It's just not the crisis we're dealing with now, or maybe it's quiet and we're not dealing with the crisis. What's the worst possible thing that could happen in the days, weeks, or months ahead based on what we're doing? And uh, how are we going to bounce back? Uh, I remember at the uh, Real Association of Realtors, we were very concerned about um, the economy with the dot-com economy and the recession uh, in uh, 2008, 2009. And we were so concerned, the board of directors actually took uh, my recommendation. We uh, we dramatically increased um, the dues from our members. We were so concerned about uh, the impact of the recession on our members who were realtors. If they dropped out, if they too many left, um, what would that mean for our financial stability as an organization? We didn't make our members happy when we dramatically increased um, the dues, which created its own crisis, but we were trading one crisis for another. We wanted to have financial security, a financial stability for the organization, and the board of directors uh, thought it was better to have more money in the bank than less, and we were just going to have to deal with the blowback, which we got uh, from our members because we dramatically increased our dues. But at the end of the day, uh, we were a stronger, more financially stable organization. And that was a great way to help uh, prevent a crisis that we would have had if we had not taken the steps to uh, increase our financial um, reserves. Yeah, that's amazing and super helpful. This is um, this was the point of this podcast is um, we want to help people. I and mean, our medium and our tool is in recruiting and yours is in communication. So um, I, I do believe people here in this, would, that's going to help quite a bit. And we really appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us. Sure. I enjoy the conversation. And if people learn, want to learn more about my book, uh, please go to my website at uh, publicrelations.com. That's publicrelations.com. And if they want to learn more about the different crisis situations and how the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly ways companies and individuals are dealing with them, uh, go to Forbes.com. Uh, type in my name, it's Edward Siegel, S-E-G-A-L, and it'll take you to my page on Forbes.com where I cover crisis management uh, issues, topics, and news of the day. That's awesome, Edward. You're a professional because we were about to just, we we're about to ask you to go ahead and do that, but you were on top of it. <laughs> Appreciate you. Yeah, that's great. We want to get this to as many people as possible, and that that's helpful. That's a good way for them to find you. Good. Well, enjoy the conversation, and uh, I hope no one ever has a crisis. But I hope everyone's prepared for it when it happens. Absolutely. Thank you, Edward. We really appreciate your time. Good to be with you. Take care. Bye.